This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, boy, do we have a lot to unpack today. Hampshire, give it up for the Trojans. They make history at the Boys State Basketball Tournament. We got a no-no for Baltimore O on Cinco de Mayo. And then we have a crap show between the Rangers and the Capitals last night, which is exactly what we expected. Probably the only thing out of the three things I just mentioned that were that was expected last night. So those are the three main focal points, three main topics today, and a lot of other stuff going on and coming up in the next two hours of the show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another Essential Work Day. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. Hit me up on Twitter at ESPN Morning Rush or at Rush Tony C. That's the letter C, not the word. Also on Facebook at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. All of those pages free and open to the public. Like them, follow them. Reach out anytime you want. Drop me a line, a message, whatever, on those pages. Got a question, comment, an opinion. You want to send out a congratulations to the Hampshire basketball team? Feel free. Also, taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shum on, 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app, or as my wife uh, calls it, the Peapod app. Because she can never remember. It's the Podbean app. We upload every show every day, minus commercials, just for you. Go back and check out uh, every single show except for one since August 2019. Every show is up there on our podcast page. So go back and check it out. Several ways. I mean, this show today, sometimes doing a show like this is difficult because... Sometimes things just don't happen, right? Sometimes there is a lull in the sports world, and you kind of got to scratch and claw to find things to talk about, right? That's whenever the cheesy top 10 lists come out, right? When, you, <laughs> when you're hurting for subject matter, you throw out the, uh, the old, oh, who are the top 10 quarterbacks of all time? We're taking your calls, right? Today, not a problem. Because a lot of stuff going down. And we're going to start with a rock around the region. I want to rock! And we'll start with high school basketball. Where the Hampshire Trojans had already made program history by qualifying for the state tournament for the first time ever. Last night, they made even more history.
Travis Jones, the call on WV Metro News. Hampshire becomes the first eight seed ever to win a West Virginia State tournament game. Knocking off number one Robert C. Bird by six points. Drew Keckley, monster game. 25 points for the Trojans, who will face number five Wheeling Central tomorrow night at 7.15. Much more on that game coming up in just a bit. In Major League Baseball, Baltimore's John Means made some history, tossing a no-hitter against the Mariners in a 6-0 Orioles win. Means struck out 12 and allowed just one base runner. It was his first complete game in 44 career starts and the first individual no-no for the Orioles since Jim Palmer in 1969. Much more on that coming up later on in the show. Elsewhere, Marcel Ozuna hit a grand slam as the Braves beat the Nationals 5-3 in Washington. Trey Turner hit a two-run homer for the Nats, his team-leading seventh home run of the year. And in San Diego, the Padres beat the Pirates 4-2 to take two of three in the series. Brian Reynolds homeward for the Bucks, who scored a total of four runs in the three-game set. Something else we will talk about in depth during today's show. In New York last night, the Rangers and Capitals met for a hockey game and a boxing match broke out. Still mad, and rightfully so, over Tom Wilson's antics on Monday, the Rangers came out swinging on Wednesday. A combined 52 penalty minutes and eight fighting majors in the first minute of the game. But in the end, the Caps got the last laugh. And Feroshi coming to center, fires, he scores! T.J. Oshie with the hat trick as Coach Osh looks on from heaven. It's 4-1, to one, and Oshie has finished the hat trick. Oh, my. John Walton, the exuberant call on the Capitals radio network, 4-2 the final, and a storyline that just simply got buried by the circus act last night was T.J. Oshie getting the hat trick a day after his father passed away. Uh, Caps moving to first place in the East Division. Tied with the Penguins, but they still have the tiebreaker. And in the NBA, the Wizards and Bucks went down to the wire in Milwaukee. Looking to get it in. Ball tipped, taken by Matthews from midcourt. He heaves it, banked it, and almost went in. (laughs) Bucks win. 135-134. What a finish. Woo! How close was that? The call on WTMJ. Bucks hold on to beat the Wiz by a single point. Russell Westbrook, another triple-double. What else is new? 29 points, 12 rebounds, 17 assists. Bradley Beal, 42 points for Washington. And that is your jam-packed rock around the region brought to you by the Caporale Group. Uh, Good news for the Wizards is that the Pacers lost at home to Sacramento, 104-93. to So even in a loss, the Wizards kept pace with the Pacers because they lost as well. 
So the Wiz still a half game behind Indiana. Unfortunately, I do believe that Charlotte win last night. Let me consult the bones here. As soon as this page loads, my goodness, it's so slow. I don't even know. What, what am I looking at here? This is terrible. No, Charlotte did not. The Hornets did not play last night. So the Wizards lose a half game uh, to Charlotte. So the Wiz are two and a half behind Charlotte for the eighth spot and still a half game behind Indiana for the ninth spot. Come on, man. What, what, what year are we in? Is this 1986? Why can't I get a single freaking web page to load within a couple seconds? Is that too much to ask? My goodness. All I want to see is the NBA standings. And the wheel just turns and turns and turns and turns. I'm a simple man. I don't ask for much. Anyway. Wizards, uh, they lose. Big game on Saturday as they take on the Pacers uh, in Indiana. So, let's start off today's show. Again, several things to get to. Let's start off with some good news, right? Because we'll save the Capitals-Rangers debacle for later. The Hampshire boys basketball team, right? Pretty much taken the word never and flushed it from their vocabulary. A Trojans boys squad had never made it to the West Virginia State tournament before this season. Uh, You can cross that off the list. A number eight seed had never won a single tournament game before last night. And you can now cross that off the list. Now look, (laughs) the, the Charleston Civic Center was already stunned, right? I mean, earlier in the afternoon, nobody saw this coming. Number seven, Winfield, took down number two, Fairmont Senior, 49-45. Nobody saw that coming. Heading into not just the tournament, but the season itself, it was safe to say that Robert Seabird and Fairmont Senior were kind of like the co-favorites to win the state championship in AAA. Both teams went into the tournament with just one loss each. RCB was 13 and 1, Fairmont Senior was 15 to 1. And in the afternoon session yesterday, down goes Fairmont. Down goes Fairmont. Winfield takes him out. Which, you know, you hate to see. And I'm driving to a track meet last night in Kaiser. And I'm talking with Scott Slider, Frankfurt head basketball coach, who I coach with, right? We're driving to the track meet, and we're talking about Fairmont Senior losing. And I said, hey, who knows, right? Maybe, you know, Hampshire coach Danny Alkire could use that as motivation against Robert C. Bird, you know? Like maybe he could tell his boys, look, hey, look at what Winfield just did. We can go out and do it too. Now I don't know if that's you know if if that's the route he took, but something worked because his team comes out last night and pulls off an even bigger shocker than what Winfield did to Fairmont Senior. Absolutely stunning, Robert C. Bird. It had never happened before. 
number eight seeds were zero and forty-five before last night's upset. <laughs> I had no idea. I mean, it's safe to assume that a number eight beating a number one was rare. I had no idea it had never happened before until last night. So with that now known, obviously, this would be the first time that the seven and eight seeds have ever advanced to the state semifinals. Number seven, Winfield. Number eight, Hampshire. And Winfield uh, will take on number three, Shady Spring, tomorrow morning at 11.15. And it'll be Hampshire and number five, Wheeling Central, tomorrow night at 7.15. And Wheeling Central, a dramatic victory over number four, Nitro. Uh, Michael Topfer hit a three-pointer, top of the key, at the buzzer to give uh, Wheeling Central a 40-39 to win. Very low-scoring affair. And so they move on. Now, move, back to Hampshire here. Drew Keckley, one of, I think, what is it, six seniors on Hampshire's roster? I think it's six. Absolute beast mode last night. 25 points on 9 of 14 shooting. His biggest shot coming with 29 seconds left in Hampshire up by three. The call once again on WV Metro News. Keckley buries it from the corner. To put the Trojans up by six. And you kind of have to wonder, what are they doing shooting threes up by three? Because Makai Anderson took a three earlier just before that and missed. And so Keckley takes his shot. And it's one of those deals. I think I saw uh, Coach Alkai, I saw, I saw a quote. Somebody said it's one of those like, oh, no, no, no. Oh, good shot, good shot, good shot, right? Like, what are you doing shooting the ball up by three? But then it goes in. It's like, yep, that's a good shot. And so he drains it. Makai Anderson tacked on a pair of free throws late to seal the deal. He had a good game, nine points, game-high 12 rebounds. Trevor Sardo, uh, 12 points. Hampshire had the advantage from the foul line, which is always key in a big game like that. They made 12 of 15. RCB just 5 of 15. That's a seven-point edge from the stripe for Hampshire. And the Trojans' defense, which has been their calling card for most of the year, that stiffened up when it mattered most in the fourth quarter. Uh, Bryson Lucas, who had a great game for RCB, he hits a three-pointer to put RCB up by five with 7.09 left in the fourth quarter. Right, The Eagles did not score again until Lucas hit another three with 2.12 left in the game. That's almost a five-minute stretch without a point in the fourth quarter for Robert Seabird. And like I said, Lucas had a great game. He had 25 points, eight boards. Jeremiah King had 10 points. Problem for RCB, outside of those two, the rest of the squad, five for 28 from the field. After the game, a victorious Danny Alkire talked with Travis Jones on uh, WV Metro News.
I knew I'd heard that somewhere. Like the no, 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 great shot. And it was it was that clip right there. I knew I heard it somewhere. I didn't read it, I heard it. Now, who was it? Who was it that told you a couple weeks ago that they did not want to see Hampshire in the playoffs? Who was it that said because of their length and their athleticism and their speed and their defense and their inside-outside game that they would not want to be a team that I'd want to see? Who was it that, oh, that's right, it was me. Now, am I going to sit here and say that I thought they'd win last night? No. Did I think they'd give RCB a challenge? Yes. Absolutely. Hampshire's a good basketball. Hampshire's a very good basketball team. And yeah, they were the eight seed, and I was reading the game story from last night, and Coach Alkire was like, seedings and rankings don't mean nothing. They don't mean anything. And I even said this yesterday when we were looking over, you know, the the uh, seedings of the boys' tournament. How it seems like more often than not, any team from our region, if when they make the state tournament, they get either a seven or an eight seed. Now I don't know if there's a bias there. I don't know if there's actually a formula that goes into the rankings or the seedings. But when you, you know going into this week, you had Tucker County who was the eight seed in Class A. And they had 12 wins on the year. You had Moorfield, which I guess Moorfield should have been an eight. They only had six wins, but you understand that. But then you had Hampshire as an eight seed with only four losses on the year. In Quad A, which starts today, you have Jefferson as a seven seed. But to Coach Alkire's point, these seedings and rankings don't mean nothing. You step on the floor and you play your game and you play ball. And Hampshire did just that. And you got you to tip your cap. You have to. I don't think many people outside that locker room saw that coming last night. No, seriously. If you say you did, I got I to question your, uh, you know, your truthfulness. But congratulations to them. No, it's not over yet. Look, they, there's no reason to believe, Right. No reason to believe that they can't give Wheeling Central all they can handle tomorrow night after what they did last night and move on to, obviously, their first appearance in a state state title game in program history. Seriously, why would you even doubt it at this point? I mean, they're 15-4. and I can't remember the last time they lost. (laughs) I can't. I guess we'll find out tomorrow night, right? Can the Trojans win and advance to the state championship game on Saturday? Exciting, exciting times uh, in Romney. All right, uh, time for a break. It was exciting times last night if you were a Baltimore Orioles fan as one starting pitcher uh, made some history, some weird history to boot. Stick around. We'll talk about that next. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Kind of wrapping up our high school uh, look here. We talked uh, in depth about Hampshire's big upset win 
over RCB last night. The one triple uh, A game we really didn't get into was the one uh, between Shady Spring and Herbert Hoover. Uh, Shady Spring was the number three seed, Herbert Hoover the six seed. And we talked about this yesterday. Uh, Herbert Hoover hit uh, with the old COVID quarantine. They played Westside in their region co-final. Apparently, they were exposed to somebody with COVID. And 12, 12 players on Hoover's uh, varsity roster could not make the trip to Charleston. So Hoover had to play Shady Spring yesterday with one starter and seven JV players. And they lost to Shady Spring as expected, 87-45. to Gave it the valiant effort, right? Fought the good fight. But when you walk into a state tournament and you're taking on the number three seed in your bracket with one starter, I don't know how that one starter got cleared and the other ones, I don't know how that works. I don't know how anything works with these quarantines anymore. I honestly don't. I have absolutely no idea what these schools are doing when it comes to quarantines. Like, who decides who has to stay home and who doesn't? And I'm going to tell you why. I heard uh, some uh, folks talking yesterday. And I'm not going to say what school. I'm, it is a school in and around this region where you had a pair of sisters, right, living in the same house, living in the same home, going to the same school, one is quarantined and one isn't. You explain that to me. You explain that to me how that works. (laughs) They live together. They probably ride the bus together or uh, they drive. I don't know how old they are. They drive together. One has to stay home. The other one gets to go to school and do whatever. I don't understand how these quarantines work. No clue. Again, like with most of this pandemic, we're making up the rules as we go along. So I don't know how one Herbert Hoover starter somehow missed quarantine and 12 other varsity players did. But anyway, he played, seven JV players played. They did their best, but Shady Spring, as expected, uh, got the win 87-45. to So there you go. Uh, Today, there are six more games on tap. The Class A state title game will be set, both semifinals today. Number three, Pendleton County. Wildcats will put their 39-game win streak on the line. When they take on the second uh, second seed, Tug Valley, that game at 11-15 this morning. Then tonight, 7-15, Number one man, the Hillbillies, will take on number four, Webster County. So we'll know after tonight, and we'll talk about it tomorrow, especially if Pendleton can get that 40th win in a row, who will play for the Class A state title Saturday morning at 10. Also today, all four Quad A quarterfinals. In the very first game of the day, 9.30 this morning, about two hours from now, less than two hours from now, number three, Martinsburg, will take on number six, Cabell Midland. At one o'clock, number two, uh, George Washington, will take on number seven, Jefferson. 
Number three, the, the game three, and this is the one we've talked about uh, earlier in the week, a lot of emotion, a lot of heavy hearts in this game. As number one, Morgantown, I will take on number eight, Woodrow Wilson, and we'll get back to that game in a second. Uh, the late game tonight, the final game of the evening, uh, number four, Huntington, uh, versus number five, University. Now back to that Morgantown-Woodrow uh, Wilson game. We talked about it earlier this week. Just a, a tragic event going down Sunday evening. A Woodrow Wilson Jr. on the team, uh, Dwayne Richardson, shot and killed Sunday evening. And uh, Woodrow Wilson's head coach, Coach Kidd, asked the team, do you want to play or not? And the team said, we want to play. So they will take the floor tonight against top-seeded Morgantown. And an update came on that story yesterday after we got out of here. And Beckley, uh, Beckley Police, they have charged a man for that shooting. Uh, they announced yesterday afternoon that 20-year-old Jeremiah Jacob Fortner of Beckley has been charged with voluntary manslaughter and four counts of wanton endangerment. And again, this happened about 9.20 Sunday night at a residence. And according to uh, the police, Fortner inadvertently shot Richardson while recklessly handling an AR-15 rifle. And according to uh, David Allard, who is the chief of detectives, Lieutenant uh, David Allard, and this is a quote, uh, he, being Fortner, was intentionally pointing the weapon at this group and intentionally pulled the trigger. However, he had thought the weapon was unloaded, end quote. That's just, I mean, the whole situation is awful anyway. But then this comes out. And I guess... I don't know. Can you call it an accidental shooting? If he he pointed it at, I mean, what are you? What are we doing? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get into the whole gun control thing. I'm not. A, I don't advocate. I'm. A, I don't. We're not getting into it. We're not getting into it. Okay, that's another story for another news show. Another which is coming up here in a couple of weeks. I'm not getting into it. But what are they doing? Messing around with an AR-15 on a Sunday night or any night for that matter? Pointing a weapon at somebody, thinking it's not loaded, and pulling the trigger. Now, detectives say they initially got conflicting statements about what happened. Uh, they searched the residence. They got some physical evidence. They obtained a, a warrant for Fortner's arrest. Uh, Fortner turned himself in yesterday. According to the lieutenant, Fortner was the person who called 911. And he was in the vehicle at the time. It was There was a private vehicle trying to take Richardson to the hospital whenever they flagged down authorities on the way. Fortner was in the car at the time. Just a, a tragic, senseless, useless death all the way around. Like, what would he be doing in this country anymore? A memorial service was held at Woodrow Wilson High School last night. And again, the basketball team will play tonight against Morgantown under these circumstances.
And I said yesterday, you have to root for Woodrow Wilson, right? I mean, this obviously basketball was secondary to all of this, but they, they're still going to play a basketball game. And no offense to Morgantown, but you have to root for Woodrow Wilson, who's going to be. I can't. I can't imagine. Can't imagine even trying to play under these circumstances. But they're going to try. And we'll, again, we'll have more on that uh, game and all the games uh, tomorrow. All right, uh, we'll take a break. Yeah, we'll take a break. We'll get out of here, come back, and then we will get back into some more stuff. I don't even know. I, I still, I still can't wrap my mind around what happened. Just unbelievable. Stick around. Uh, come around to ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Uh, before we move on to baseball, I see this uh, tweet on the interwebs talking about the Hampshire boys, saying this staff and group of young men have been doubted all year. Eh, have they really? <laughs> Anybody who's been paying attention and watched them play, eh, that's a good basketball team. Who's, you know, they went undefeated in the section, right? Has anybody really been doubting? No, look, if you doubted them last night, you should have because an eight never beat a one, ever. So, of course, there was doubt in that game last night. But I don't, anybody who's been watching Hampshire play this year shouldn't have been doubting them. It's a good basketball team. I don't quite know if I buy that or not. Anyway, uh, nobody is doubting the abilities of John Means, that's for sure. Before last night's start against Seattle, uh, Means had never gone more than seven innings in his 44 Major League starts. He had never even recorded an out in the eighth inning. Now, again, uh, that was before last night. He's ahead of White, one and two, who's strikeout prone. Here it comes. Swing and a miss, strike three. He chased the changeup. 11 strikeouts for Means. Eight innings, no hits allowed. Time to call your friends, tweet, text, Instagram, whatever you got. We're going to the ninth inning. John Means has a no-hitter going. The call on 105.7, the fan move on to the ninth inning. Means, a a West Virginia University product, oh, by the way, uh, got Dylan Moore to uh, foul out in the, well, just foul out, a pop out. Then he struck out Sam Haggerty for the second out of the ninth. And then uh, J.P. Crawford stepped to the plate. Two flyouts for Crawford in the game. The wind first pitch. A swing and a line drive. It is caught by the shortstop, Barrios. And John Meads has done it in Seattle. He has thrown a no-hitter as the Orioles take down the Mariners 6 to nothing. John Meads joins the elite ranks of Orioles pitchers who have thrown a no-hitter. It is the first individual no-hitter since Jim Palmer in 1969. The first overall no-hitter since 1991 in Oakland. And today, a day that John Means will never forget, Cinco de Mayo, a no-hitter for Means as the Orioles come rushing out of the dugout, out of the bullpen, hugs all around. Means has done it. He has thrown a no-hitter. Cinco de no-no means the 10th no-hitter in franchise history. The first four was when they were still in St. Louis. Everything after that in Baltimore. As you heard him, first individual no-no since Jim Palmer 
shut down Oakland in August of 1969. The O's did have a combined no-hitter in July of 91. Bob Malacky, Mike Flanagan, Mark Williamson, and Greg Olson joined forces to shut down Oakland again. Means simply dominant last night. 12 strikeouts, no walks. Out of his 113 pitches, 79 strikes, including 26 first pitch strikes to the 27 batters he faced. Now, the only reason he didn't get a perfect game was because of what happened in the third inning. Haggerty swung at a ball in the dirt on a 1-2 count. The pitch got away from catcher Pedro Severino, so Haggerty reached on a dropped third strike. Now, it's worth pointing out, he was immediately erased from the base paths because Severino gunned him down on an attempted steal, which is why Means still faced the minimum 27 batters. Now, ESPN's Tim Kirchian was on with SVP last night talking about the unprecedented no-hitter. Every time you go to a ball game, you might see something that you've never seen before, and nobody has ever seen that. That's the first no-hitter ever in which nobody reached base on a walk, a hit batter, or an error. But he reached base on a wild pitch, so therefore it's not a perfect game. Caught stealing, only faces 27 hitters. Never seen anything like that in baseball history, and it happened today. That's what's so interesting about the game. If you just pay attention, it's never going to let you down. It's going to give you something wacky, and we've had so many wacky things happen already this year. But Means has been spectacular. I can't help but think of the legendary pitching coach back in the day, Ray Miller. Had three tenets, right? Work fast, change speeds, throw strikes. Work fast, the game was 225. Throw strikes, he threw first pitch strikes to 26 of 27 batters that he faced. He's given up seven runs total in seven starts. How good has Means been for the Orioles this year, Tim? Well, he's been as good a pitcher as there's been maybe in the American League. That's how good he's been. Opening day, he completely shut down the Red Sox. They all raved that they haven't seen a changeup that good in some time. And this is where we are in the game now, Scott. This guy throws 94 miles an hour with a spectacular changeup. If you look for the heater, you cannot get to the changeup. And you can't look for the changeup because he throws hard enough to get you out with that. And this is the big difference. Everybody throws hard in today's game, but everybody has a wipeout secondary pitch, whether it's a slider or a split. And in this case, John Means has a killer changeup. We saw it opening day, and we saw it again today. 26 swings and misses, one hard hit ball, 12 strikeouts, and a first pitch strike to 26 out of 27 batters. That is remarkable. Means ERA is now a ridiculous 1.37 this season. And he is now 4-0 on the year. After his historical start, he jumped on with Freddie and Fitzsimmons. It's been pretty crazy. You know, in 2019, in spring training, I, I thought I was, you know, starting in AAA. I thought for sure. Uh, I'd be going to Norfolk and then somehow I make the team out of camp and, and I, I am pitching out of the bullpen and I, I start off pretty well for the first month and then I make my way into the starting rotation and then somehow, you know, make the all-star team and, and then that next year get married. And, you know, last year I lost my dad to pancreatic cancer and it, it's been pretty rough and, you know, to be able to come back and 
it's it's just been crazy these last two years it it's literally been a storybook I, I just can't even describe it your catcher i'm feeling for pedro severino man because i mean you, you would have had a perfect game but it, it's a passed ball third strike after but it was early in the game i think it was a third or fourth inning right so did he come up mm-hmm. to you going man i'm sorry or are you like we're good it was early i mean what what, what, what was that like uh, yeah, I I didn't care. I mean, it it, I'm, it happens to everybody. I I just I'm just glad I threw the no hitter. I just honestly, I was just in in the seventh. I was just glad that I was going back out for the eighth because I've never gone past the seventh inning before. Really? So that was a new milestone. And then yeah, now uh, now I can say I thrown a CG and and might as well throw a no hitter with it. Man, it, it's remarkable. And and I don't know if you realize this, but I'm sure you do now. It's the first since 1969. I mean, that, that's like immortal. When you heard that news, the first no-no for an Orioles pitcher since 1969, when you think about everybody that's played for that organization, when you heard that, what was your instant reaction? It, it, it's pretty crazy. I can't, like, like I said, I don't even, I don't even know how to think about it. You know, it, it's just, it's so out of this world for me and just, it, it's incredible uh, to, to have so many pitchers come through this organization and, and have the careers that they did. The, you know the Mike Mucinas, the Jim Palmers, everybody. It, it's it's incredible, and to be even mentioned in the same breath as those people, it's it's just incredible. Now, uh, Means' effort last night was already the third no hitter this season. It's the first time. Uh, speaking of Jim Palmer in 1969, although his was later in the year, first time since 1969 there have been three complete game no nos this early in a season. Because you had a Musgrove for San Diego and Rodon for, uh, oh, shoot, the, the White Sox. And now you have John Means, the 10th no-hitter in St. Louis slash Baltimore history. So good on him. 4-0 this year, 1.370 RA. Did I mention he's a, uh, a WVU product? I did. I have to mention it again. Just because. It's because where we're at. All right. Our number one in the books. When we come back, uh, we will rock around the region, get you caught up on anything that you missed that happened around our region. And then, oh boy, we, we knew it was coming because the NHL failed miserably to do its job. So we knew it was coming last night when the Rangers and Capitals took the ice in Madison Square Garden, that it was going to turn into an absolute bleep show. And that's exactly what happened. And unfortunately buried a pretty, pretty good storyline. We will get deep into that mess in the next hour. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Caller, hold on. I'm live and through the first minute of the intro. We are live from the palatial ESPN studio. High atop Industrial Boulevard. Where else but on the south side of the Queen City? Baby. Before I get into the Twitters and the Facebooks and all that stuff, let's go to the Rush Line. 301-759-2628. 301-759-2628. You're up. Who's this? This is James. Shimon. What's up, bud? What's going on? 
Are you saying Shimon or Shalom? I, I'm not saying Shalom. Why would I say Shalom? I'm not Jewish. Why would I say Shalom? For your Jewish listeners. No, I'm saying Shimon, like old uh, Michael Jackson used to. Shimon. <laughs> Tony, I, in my sports world, I'm on cloud nine today. Why is that? Well, the Pens didn't lose yesterday. But they didn't play. Right. But they didn't lose. It's true. Aaron Rodgers is in uh, speculation from different sports sports sources for maybe going to Washington. Maybe. Yeah, you're you're going to hear that from any team that doesn't have a quarterback right now. There's going right. to be speculation for every single team out there looking for a QB. About. Right. Still, still, with. and then you had former Mountaineer pitcher and pitching for my favorite team, the Orioles, John Means. Yep. Should have had a perfect game, but he had that uh, third strike. Yeah, hit. Joe dropped third strike. Yeah. So, but I think in, in a lot of people's books, that's a perfect game. He had no hits, no walks. Right. First, first time that's ever happened. First time a pitcher has ever thrown a no hitter without a runner reaching base on a walk, hit by pitch, or a hit, or not a, obviously not a hit or an error. First time it's ever happened. And then the Hampshire Trojans knocking off RCB yesterday. Yeah. yeah. How about that? 100%. Covered that in the first hour. Covered all of that in the first hour. Hampshire tell you what. pulling off the biggest upset ever. It's never happened before. Eight beating a one. I've known Danny since he was really, really little. I used to play for his dad. He, he was our football and track coach. I grew up with Danny's siblings, Becky and, and Mike. Great family. It, it, I mean, it, they couldn't have picked a better man to be the head coach of that basketball team. He's done and, a tremendous job. Tremendous job. Uh, we're so proud. I'm, I'm telling you, uh, it, when I was when I was a kid, Hampshire always had good basketball teams, but they could never get out of the regionals because they had to go through Martinsburg or Jefferson. Right. The year after I graduated, they were number two in the state. Beat Jefferson twice in the regular season. Jefferson knocks him off in the second round of the regionals. Right. So that was about as close as we were going to get, I thought. But, you know, in his third year, Danny has turned that program around, and, and now they're going to play Wheeling Central. It's a number eight versus what? Four oh, seed, I five, think? Five, actually. Five seed. So they have a legitimate shot of getting to this thing and winning it. Oh, 100%. 100%. As I said last hour, there's no reason to doubt that they can't pull this off after last night. So, like I said, in my sports world, I'm on cloud nine. Sure. All the stars were aligned for <laughs> for my teams yesterday. So Every once in a while that happens as a sports fan. So, just wanted to give a shout-out to Danny Alcar and the Trojan basketball team. Great job, and uh, hope this thing isn't finished yet. Yeah, yeah. I think everybody around here is is rooting for them to move on yeah, and man. get to that All title right. game. All right, bud. All right, later on here, Tony. All right, man. Take care. 301-759-2628. James checking in. And like that was one of the big hurdles. And James mentioned the region. And I hate to even bring that up because it, it, it'll look like I'm trying to take away from what they accomplished. But the change in classifications did play into Hampshire getting to the state tournament. Because as we've discussed several times, this is the first time they've ever been there, the boys program. The first time ever in school history. Because, mainly because they were in that tough region with Martinsburg, uh, Musselman, Jefferson, 
Hedgesville, right? Much bigger schools. Much bigger schools. Always they could never get over that Eastern Panhandle hurdle. So it's really no coincidence, I don't think, that the very first year the Hampshire boys go to the state tournament is the very first year that they don't have to go through the Eastern Panhandle. And again, I hate bringing it up because I don't want to I don't want to take away like diminish what they've done, but it is a factor. It is. You know, you want to say it was an easier road? I don't I don't know if I want to go that route, but it was a different road. Let's let's put it that way. It was a different road, right? Instead of Martinsburg and Jefferson and Musselman, it was Kaiser, Berkeley Springs, and Trinity, was it not? And again, nothing taking nothing away from those programs. It was a different, different classification, different section, different teams. Everything about it was different. So, yeah, that's definitely played in. I don't think it's a coincidence at all because Martinsburg is pretty good again this year. But, he, but you know what? So is Hampshire. So, and, and when I talked to Coach Alkire, we had an interview on on Monday, he, he kind of said as much. He said, you know what? We could compete. If, if the region was the same as it always has been, he believed they, they can compete with Martinsburg this year. And I, from what I've seen, no reason to question that. No reason to doubt that at all. A lot of people uh, really falling in love with this new classification system because it just it makes things a little more even across the board. You, you, you spread things out more. You get the biggest of the big schools up in Quad A, right? And then it kind of trickles down from there. It, things are things are so uneven when there's just three classes in West Virginia. So uneven because you just have. Some massive schools at the top of each region, I'm sorry, classification, and then some really tiny, small schools. And I always use Frankfurt as the example. In the three-class system, Frankfurt is the second smallest school in AA. Okay? So when you look at it from a football perspective, because every other sport is still three classes except for basketball in this uh, two-year trial, right? So in a three-class system, Frankfurt is the second. I think Polka is the only one smaller in AA. In the four-class system, Frankfurt is the fifth largest team or school in AA. I think it's fifth, five or six, somewhere around there. That's the difference in with that extra class, the extra classification. So it does make things a little more even across the board. You don't have these mammoth schools taking on these much smaller schools in the same classification. So I have a feeling, and look, yes, there are teams, a lot of teams, as a matter of fact, like Hampshire, as one example, using, taking advantage of that, that is more even across the board. And it's taking some getting used to because you have teams moving up, teams moving down. It's It's been crazy. And like I said, the one thing I don't like are the small sections. I don't like the three-team sections. Now, Hampshire plays in a four-team section, which means that you have to play in a section semifinal, which I think is the way it should be. Right? There are three-team sections. But I just don't like that. It's too easy to get to a section title game. But you kind of, you know, you take the good with the bad. But I have a feeling that after this trial run is over, because there'll be four classes in hoops next year, 
I think it's going to stick. I think it's going to stay. Because it just makes things more competitive. Evenly competitive across the board. Anyway. Uh, where did I leave off at? I can't even remember. Oh, uh, yeah, the show. Okay. Uh, Twitter pages, at ESPN Morning Rush. At Rush Tony C. On Facebook, at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. As always, those pages are free and open to the public. Drop me a line. Leave me a message. Got a question, comment, whatever. It's right there. Taking your calls, like I did with James on the Rush Line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shum on. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page. On the free Podbean app, we upload every show every day minus commercials. Just for you. In case you missed any part of it, like if you missed the last hour, you missed us talking about the Hampshire boys' victory last night, which we'll recap here in just a second. You missed us talking about today's games. Could Pendleton County win their 40th straight game and get to the Class A state title game? We updated you on the tragic events surrounding the Woodrow Wilson basketball player that was shot and killed Sunday night. Somebody has been arrested in that shooting. And you missed us talking about John Means and his no-hitter last night. Tenth in St. Louis slash Baltimore history. So if you missed it, go back and check it out on our podcast page. Uh, Programming note, before we get to the Rock Around the Region, starting Monday, May 17th, your boy is, uh, well, we're moving, what is it, back? Or are we moving up? Are we moving up an hour or back an hour? I I, I don't know. Either way, the show's going to be 6 to 8, okay? So Monday, May 17th, along with several other changes uh, to the station here. The Morning Rush, you can catch it 6 to 8 a.m. instead of 7 to 9. So just mark that down and and put it to memory. All right, uh, let's rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we'll start with high school basketball. We just talked about it. The Hampshire Trojans had already made program history by qualifying for the state tournament for the first time ever. Last night, uh, they made even more history. Travis Jones, the call on the Metro News Radio Network. Hampshire becomes the first eight seed ever to win a West Virginia State tournament game, uh, knocking off number one RCB by six points. The eight seed had been 0-45 before last night. Drew Keckley had 25 points for the Trojans, who will face number five Wheeling Central in the semifinals tomorrow night at 7-15. That upset came after an earlier upset when number 7 Winfield knocked off number 2 Fairmont State. So 1 and 2 in AAA done after yesterday. In Major League Baseball, Baltimore's John Means made some history of his own, tossing a no-hitter against Seattle in a 6-0 Orioles win. Means struck out 12 and allowed just one base runner 
It was his first complete game in 44 career starts and the first individual no-no for the Orioles since Jim Palmer in 1969. The O's had a combined no-no in 1991. Elsewhere, Marcel Ozuna hit a grand slam as the Braves beat the Nationals 5-3 in Washington. Trey Turner, a two-run homer for the Nats, his team-leading seventh dinger of the year. And in San Diego, the Padres beat the Pirates 4-2 to take two of three in the series. Brian Reynolds homered for the Bucks, who scored a grand total of four runs in the three-game set. In New York last night at MSG, we'll get deeper into this game here in just a bit. The Rangers and Capitals met for a hockey game and a boxing match broke out. It wasn't even a boxing match. It was like an MMA full-out brawl. Still mad over Tom Wilson's antics on Monday. The Rangers came out swinging yesterday. A combined 52 penalty minutes and eight fighting majors in the first minute of the game. But in the end, uh, the Caps got the last laugh. And Feroshi coming to center, fires, he scores! T.J. Oshie with the hat trick as Coach Osh looks on from heaven. It's 4-1, to one, and Oshie has finished the hat trick. Oh, my! John Walton, the call on the Capitals radio network, 4-2 the final as Oshie got the hatter. A day after his father passed away, Caps move into a first-place tie with Pittsburgh in the East Division. Technically, the Caps, uh, they are in first place because they have the tiebreaker. And in the NBA, the Wizards and Bucks went down to the wire in Milwaukee. Looking to get it in. Ball tipped, taken by Matthews from midcourt. He heaves it, banked it, and almost went in. Bucks win. 135-134. What a finish. Woo! How close was that? The call on WTMJ. Bucks hold on to beat the Wiz by a single point. Russell Westbrook, another triple-double. 29 points, 12 boards, 17 assists. Bradley Beal, 42 points for Washington. Now, the good news is that Indiana also lost last night. The Pacers lost at home to Sacramento. So the Wizards still just a half game behind Indiana for that ninth spot in the Eastern Conference. Those two teams, oh, by the way, meet in Indiana uh, on Saturday. Uh, the Wizards now two and a half behind Charlotte for the eighth spot in the East. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. Now, James called at the top of the hour and he mentioned uh, Aaron Rodgers who that's all anybody's talking about in the NFL. I mean, seriously, I've never seen a story. The NFL draft was this past weekend, was it not? And all anybody can talk about is Aaron Rodgers because the news came out before the draft that he was telling some people inside the Packers organization that he wanted out, that he didn't want to play for him anymore. And so this news is conveniently leaked right before the draft. It was kind of like an, an underlying story throughout the draft. <clears throat> and now, instead of people talking about the draft this week, it's all about Aaron Rodgers. What's he going to do? What's going to happen? Is he going to stay in Green Bay? Or are they going to trade him? Is he going to retire? What about the general manager? He, like, Who goes first, the GM or Aaron Rodgers? It's, it, it's just this vicious cycle because Rodgers, from what I can gather, 
just can't get over the fact that the Packers drafted Jordan Love last year. Like, that seems to be the sticking point. That, and he apparently wants, like, more say in personnel moves, which is stupid. You know? it's I don't understand. I don't understand that. I understand you're a franchise quarterback, and we talked about the same thing with Russell Wilson in Seattle, how they want more input on, like, who the teams draft or sign. Like, I don't understand that. You're the quarterback. Go play quarterback. You want to be in the front office? Retire and go work in the front office. Right? Like, I don't walk downstairs and tell, you know, my boss, hey, you know what? This is a person you should hire. Hey, you know what? You should fire this person. Uh, no, it's not how it works. <laughs> you know, uh, there are people who are paid to sit in the front office and, and do that. You're getting paid to play. Go play. So there's just this. And, it's, and whenever you talk about something like this, what it leads to is just constant speculation. Because you heard James mention when he called in about the rumor mill starts, right? Oh, uh, Aaron Rodgers' name is being mentioned with Washington. Well, his name is going to be mentioned with every single team that doesn't have a franchise quarterback in place, right? Even maybe all of them. Maybe all of them. That's just going to happen. And it's only a matter of time before you hear his name mentioned with Pittsburgh because Roethlisberger's league. It's going to happen. And the speculation runs rampant. It, it runs wild. All of it, most of it, 99% of it is going to be unfounded and untrue. But that's where we're at. Everybody's chiming in. Everybody has an opinion on it now about Aaron Rodgers and this drama in Green Bay. Even a former Green Bay quarterback, a Brett Favre, who <laughs> during his radio spot yesterday said that Rodgers, he can't, he can't go out of Green Bay like this. You don't want to go out this way, whether it's sit out or, or play somewhere else. I mean, a lot of people would love to see him sit out. I, I can name a lot. Everybody in the NFC would love, would love to see him sit out or come to their team. Either one, but they don't want to see him go back to Green Bay, and and that's what I'd like to see. So what will Aaron Rodgers do? You know, that's a million-dollar question. I, I think I know Aaron fairly well, and honestly, I just don't see him coming back and just saying, all right, let's bury the hatchet, whatever that for whatever caused the rift. I'm just going to come back and play because I love, love the guys. I love the Green Bay fans. I assume that he, he does. His rift isn't with the fans nor the players. It's with the the front office. And Favre just said it right there. He doesn't know what has caused the rift. Now, again, I, I told you, I uh, gave you a couple examples. It could have been the whole uh, Jordan Love thing. It could be the whole, you know, not enough input and personnel. It could be the fact that he just doesn't like anybody in the front office, especially the GM. We don't exactly know what the issue is. All we know is Rodgers doesn't want to play play there anymore. And Rob Domofsky, who covers the Packers for ESPN, kind of went through the timeline and and trying to figure out what exactly Rodgers wants. They first didn't give him a big contract extension offer. They just were going to move some money around, and that upset him. And then they, by the time they got around to offering him this big contract extension, well, then it was too late. 
So now what does he want? Does he want general manager Brian Gutekunst removed, as one report from Yahoo suggested? That is to be determined at this point, but the Packers, they're not going to move on from Gutekunst. That's just not the way they operate. Are they going to trade Jordan Love? Well, now that they know Aaron Rodgers is playing great and maybe we'll sustain this, they might try, but they're never going to get back a first-round pick for Jordan Love, so that's out of the question. Now if they do trade him, they can't do it till after June 1 for salary cap reasons. They would lose a ton of cap space right now. They would pick up a little bit after June 1st if they did it, but at this point, they still say, we want Aaron Rodgers to be our quarterback. The question now is, is there any way to convince Rodgers that he that to have him be their quarterback? And at that at this point, that hasn't happened yet. If the Packers give in and they fire the GM Gutekunz, or they trade Jordan Love, it will set a terrible precedent to allow a player. I don't care how good you are. I don't care if you're Aaron Rodgers. To allow a player to influence your front office decisions like that, it can't happen. Now, they don't want to lose him either. They don't want to get rid of him, right? He's a heck of a quarterback. Now, when he's not being all dramatic and crying and whining about stuff, Rodgers is one of the greatest quarterbacks we've ever seen. But they can't give in on this one. They cannot. They got to stand their ground. It'll set a terrible precedent to let anybody, any player, dictate what they do personnel-wise or anything else for that matter. So I kind of agree with Brett Favre. As much as the Packers don't want to do it, I got a feeling Rodgers is going to be somewhere else because they're not going to let him tell them how to run the organization. They can't do it. They can't. No team can. It's just a matter of where is he going to go. All right. I'll be back here in just a bit. Talk about Rangers Capital. Stick around. Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. And look, we knew it was coming, right? When the NHL failed miserably to punish Tom Wilson for his clownish antics on Monday night against the Rangers, you knew there wasn't a question You knew the Rangers were going to come out last night looking for their pound of flesh. And they wasted absolutely no time. We got a line brawl right off the hop. Oh, my goodness. Dropping him here is Rooney. And down. Haglin off with Blackwell. DiGiuseppe fighting Hathaway. A message being sent perhaps by the Rangers. Sticks and gloves all over the ice. The Rangers have decided to try and fight back. Hathaway landing a big hit on DiGiuseppe. He goes down. Oh, what a start here in New York. Well, this is old school right now. You didn't see this one coming, but you could see right off the draw, Dowd, the referees come in and push the two centermen out, so you knew they were talking, doing something. We'll see what the the penalties are going to be here, but that's one way. If the Rangers want to send a message, I don't know if that's going to cut it or not, John. I mean, the main guy is number 43. Who's going to go after him and send the message? Uh, John Walton and Ken Saber in the call on the Capitals Radio Network. Number 43 uh, being Tom Wilson uh, himself. And the guy to send the message (laughs) was Brendan Smith. Because Wilson, who started this whole mess on Monday, 
didn't take long for the Rangers to notice uh, when he got on the ice. See what happens when Tom Wilson decides to get involved. Well, now we got another fight going here. Tom Wilson will engage and get into a fight here with Brendan Smith. So Wilson in his first shift will hook up with Smith who wants no part of this and is trying to get free from it. Wilson trying to get the right loose. It is fight night in New York. 50 seconds into the game with three fighting majors aside already. This now a fourth. Wilson coming over the top and getting a couple of good licks in on Brendan Smith. And the beat goes on here in Gotham. Smith, rightfully so, went right after Wilson. Like the moment he stepped on the ice and uh, the fisticuffs ensued. And look, Smith is a defenseman. By no means, though, is he a fighter or an enforcer. But because, once again, the league did not do its job, earlier in the week, Smith said that he had no choice but to take matters into his own hands. It had been handled before this game, and it wasn't. So, unfortunately, it had to be kind of on my shoulders, and and, uh, I thought I took it. Brendan, I've read a lot in the last couple days about how the Rangers as a team are, you know, the word's been used soft and, and you know, not tough enough and stuff. And, and I'm wondering if, if you feel like you guys' response tonight uh, disproves that in, in some way. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you think we're soft? No. Okay. You answered it. <laughs> Pretty much sums that up, doesn't it? 52 combined penalty minutes and eight fighting majors in the first minute of the game. But wait, there's more. And Zibanejad wins it. Raffles now going to fight with Padetto right off the faceoff. Couple of jabs by Padetto. Raffle comes back with a right of his own. Big haymaker by Padetto, but it missed. Raffle comes back with a right. Now Padetto's lost his helmet, and the linesmen are going to immediately jump in and separate. So yet another fight, barely four minutes into the game, as you hear the players tap their sticks. The penalty. Bench area is getting rather full. There is no room. They're going to have to put him actually in the seats since we have right. the extra room. <laughs> because 16,000 empty seats in the building here. and Yeah, it is pretty crowded. Blackwell's got to stand up. Dowd's got to stand as well. Hopefully everybody wore their deodorant because <laughs> it's a pretty crowded elevator. And we're going to get another fight off this faceoff. And it's going to be Eller and Strom. So this is just a parade to the penalty box here. Strom with a couple of rights. Strom can fight. Strom with another couple of rights here. Both players keep their helmets on. Eller goes down. Strom on top of him. And I don't know how they're going to fit these guys in their respective penalty boxes. It's overcrowded already. So at 4-14, this is the response that we're getting from the Rangers and Capitals after what happened on Monday. That was the call on the MSG radio network. Uh, At one point, each team had at least six players. (laughs) <laughs> in the penalty box. So much for social distancing. It was absolutely insane. As you, At 4.14 of the first period, four minutes and 14 seconds in, there were at least six fights. Which, that's the NHL's fault. They set it up this way. There's nobody to blame except for the NHL and the Department of Player Safety. 12 combined fighting majors in the first five minutes of the game. Now, Wilson, 
He left the game, oh, by the way. In the first, he, he played just four shifts and left the game with an uh, upper body injury and did not return, which it's an absolute crock. I'm sorry. Now, maybe, maybe he actually was hurt, but I don't buy it. The Capitals got him off the ice <laughs> because it might have ended worse for him if they didn't do it when they did it. I don't buy it at all that he was hurt. Now, if it comes out later that he is, then I will track my statement. But the Capitals figured out pretty quick that the Rangers weren't messing around. So they got Wilson off the ice. And you know that's the thing. The, you know, the Capitals still have something to play for, right? They win the game last night, which they did, and they're back into a first-place tie in the East Division. Rangers' season was over. They were eliminated on Monday. They got nothing to play for. They got nothing to lose in a game like last night. Only to exact their revenge because the league didn't do what it was supposed to do. So the Caps had much more on the line than the Rangers did. And that was not lost on Caps play-by-play guy John Walton. A dozen fighting majors now with 1546 to go in the first period. This is absolute chaos at Madison Square Garden. The team that was so upset about the violence that occurred, apparently they're not that concerned about it right now. Six majors. The Capitals have got to stop this, Ken. They're going to the playoffs. I understand what has gone on. I understand the emotion of the game. But the big picture is if you want to make any kind of run in the Stanley Cup playoffs, if somebody gets hurt in a game like this, this close to the end of the regular season, the Rangers are going to get exactly what they wanted. They're trying to take Washington out right now. Now, I got to admit, that is pretty disingenuous by John Walton. And I like John. I've spoken to him before. But for him to come out and say that the Rangers, the team that was so against the violence from Monday, isn't really against it now, that's bunk. Because you know exactly why it happened. And And the Rangers had to do that. They had to do it. Because the NHL did not do what it was supposed to do. So don't act like this is that was the Rangers' fault last night. Don't act like it's all on them, because it wasn't. And at the very end, for him to say that, you know, you know, the Rangers might, you know, take one of the Capitals out. You mean like John or Tom Wilson did on Monday? Is that what you mean? Taking a player out? Is that what you're referring to? Artemi Panarin? The guy who was lost for the rest of the season because of Tom Wilson, you mean that t- that kind of taking out a player? Then yeah. This all started with Tom Wilson. This is his fault. Right? And then the NHL compounded it by not taking care of their business. And so the Rangers had to. They absolutely had to. Head coach uh, David Quinn for the Rangers, very happy with the response from his team. You know, when something like that happens, it certainly speaks volumes to how these guys want to play for each other and care for each other in difficult circumstances. We all saw what happened the other night. Nobody's happy about it. I couldn't be more proud of these guys. Proud of this team. Taking care of business because the league didn't do it. The the Garage League, remember years ago, Mario Lemieux called the NHL a Garage League? That's what they are. 
And you wonder why the NHL is still fourth. It's still a niche sport. It's because of what happened last night. And what happened last night was because of the NHL itself. Because secretly, some of the dinosaurs that still kind of run the league think that that is what people want to see. They still think the majority of hockey fans want to see that clown show. Last night was a disgrace for the National Hockey League. That was a national game, too, by the That was on NBC Sports. That was a nationally televised game. And that is a product that the league put forth. That is what the whole country got to see, that bleep show right there. Fight after fight after fight after fight, which it could have all been avoided if the league had a pair and did what it was supposed to do with Tom Wilson. So as bad as that looked last night, as terrible as it looked, the NHL deserved every last bit of it because it's on them. Tom Wilson started it. The league did not finish it, so the Rangers had to go out and try to do it. That's just code. That's 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 with any sport. I remember going all the way back to my college days. Speaking of uh, dinosaurs, I played deck hockey. Okay, and if you know don't know what deck hockey is, it's hockey, but it's in a rink, but it's 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 on that all-purpose plastic stuff, and you can either rollerblade or play on foot. I'm not a skater, so we played on foot. There was a league for each, and when you're playing deck hockey. You got rules. There's no hard checking. I mean, come on. It's 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 a rec league, right? No hard checking, no fighting, whatever. But it's still hockey. And I actually got suspended for six games. Sticking up for one of my teammates. Phil. I remember old Phil. That's code. That's game code. Phil was in the slot in front of the goaltender. Somebody comes up from behind him and sucker punches Phil right in the snot locker, busts his nose open, he's bleeding. As soon as I see it, I drop my gloves, I charge this dude, and I start wailing on him. Had to protect my teammate. Had to protect my team. And I I caught a six-game suspension for it. Because there's absolutely no fighting in the deck hockey league. So you can only imagine the code in real hockey. You can only imagine the pressure the Rangers felt that they had to handle business last night because the league and that clown George Paros and Department of Player Safety, which is a joke because they didn't do what they should have done and dropped the hammer on Tom Wilson. Every negative comment, every negative tweet, every negative post, every negative opinion formed, written, said, heard over last night's game is deserved. Because it's the NHL's fault for not taking a clown goon like Tom Wilson and sending him packing until next season. Good on the Rangers for stepping up and not doing what the league had the pair to do. All right, one last break. Back to wrap it up. Stick around. Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Before we get out of here, let's look at the player who delivered last night, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. And basically, we're going to make it everybody we talked about today. The Hampshire Trojans. 
the first eight seed to ever win a West Virginia State tournament game. Knocking off number one RCB, Drew Keckley, 25 points for Hampshire. Keckley and Hampshire delivered last night. John Means, the 10th individual no-hitter in Orioles history. 12 strikeouts, no walks, just one wild pitch away, a drop third strike from a perfect game. Means, the player who delivered last night. And the entire New York Rangers hockey team. Taking matters into their own hands. Going after the Capitals last night and Tom Wilson. Because the NHL didn't do its job. Everybody delivered last night. Brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. Everybody came through. I can't imagine like the Rangers just letting that go last night. Right? I saw a picture here during a break on the uh, old internet Twitter machine. It's like a, an aerial shot of the Capitals penalty box. And there's six Capitals crammed into the box in that first period. And, of course, one guy is standing up and smiling, and it's Tom Wilson because he gets off on his stuff. Right? That clown enjoys – he enjoys every single second of what happened last night and what happened on Monday. He's a whole reason this entire thing unfolded. Anyway, uh, you can file this under things that I, I, I would think I would never see in my lifetime. Also on Twitter. I don't even know the context behind it. It's a picture of Dean Cain. Remember Dean Cain? Uh, played Superman on TV, right? Is that Lois and Clark or whatever? I don't can't remember. <laughs> and he's holding a bottle of George Strait tequila. That's, again, something I never would have thought I've seen. <laughs> I would see in my life. It's like a silhouette of George Strait with his autograph. Honky Tonk Time Machine Tequila. Uh, I guess it gives a new meaning to straight tequila. There you go. And uh, old Dean came with a message. I'm carrying your love with me at George Strait. Hashtag pure country. Hashtag tequila. Hashtag Codigo. I guess that's the brand. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, some sad news. I, I hate, I hate to, to end the show on like down news. But uh, Ray Miller, who managed the Orioles back in 98-99, longtime pitching coach of the Orioles and uh, the Pirates. He was a pitching coach when Jim Leland was there. Uh, He passed away this week. Uh, His family said that Miller passed away at the age of 76. And he said he played 10 seasons in the minor leagues of the Giants, Indians, and the O's. He spent the 1974 through 1977 seasons as a minor league coach for Baltimore. He joined the Rangers coaching staff in 1978. Then he became the Orioles pitching coach. Actually, he he went uh, he had three tenures as a pitching coach for Baltimore. Then later on, as I mentioned, he he was a pitching coach for uh, the Pirates. And then he managed Gio. So Ray Miller, uh, it kind of dawned on me. We played a clip 
uh, earlier in the show when Tim Kirchian was talking about uh, John Means' no-hitter with Scott Van Pelt. And SVP actually mentioned Ray Miller, which kind of triggered. I was like, oh, wait a minute. I remember seeing the headline that he had passed away. So Ray Miller, uh, gone too soon at age uh, 76. Uh, What's going on tonight? We got Nationals baseball tonight. Is that what it is? Yeah, Nats and Braves, a game three of that series. So we'll have that on this very station, a pregame around, I guess it would be 635. We have six more games in the Boys State Tournament down there in Charleston. A three-game morning session, getting ready to start here in probably about 40 minutes, less than that. If you're in and around the Kaiser area, all the games will be on our sister station, AM 1390. And you can catch all the games on the Metro News Radio Network, WVMetroNews.com. Uh, they stream all the games. And again, we got two Class A semifinals today, uh, Pendleton County and Tug Valley. Pendleton going for its 40th straight win. If they get that win, then they are off to the Class A state title game uh, on Saturday morning. Who's I can't remember who's in the other semifinal. That's how bad my memory is. But anyway, we'll talk about the games tomorrow. And, of course, all four uh, quad A quarterfinals today as well. Martinsburg, they play the very first game today uh, at 930. Catch all the games, all the action on Metro News. That's it. I'm limping to the finish line here. I have nothing else to talk about. So I'm just maybe I'll just sit here and sing a song for the next uh, minute. (laughs) Oh, so close. You get so close and you fall a minute short. That's like... It's a radio host's worst nightmare, right? Because we had so much to talk about today with Hampshire and the Orioles and the no-hitter and the Rangers Capitals and all those. And you just, you just can't quite get to 20 seconds past the hour or past 55. So you sit there and talk about this failure until you actually get to 55-20. That's how it works. Nah, I can't go dead air. We got five seconds left. Who's you counting down? Four, three, two, one. There it is. Not the best way to end the show, but it's ended nonetheless. Nats tonight. Tune in for that. Talk about it tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your day. See you back here at 7 a.m. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C., and I am done. See ya!